Hey everyone, welcome back to the Sermon Podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location in Belmont, Massachusetts. My name is Brian, I pastor that location, and it is good to talk to you again. Well, today we wrap up our Relationship Sermon Series, and we do so by talking about what God has to say about how we form our closest relationships. How should we shape our relationships with business associates and classmates and close friends? God has something to say about that, and it's important, not because it just affects our relationships with other people, but because it affects our relationship with God himself. So I hope you enjoy this, and I hope you listen closely, because I believe God has something he would like to say to you. I don't know how many of you have ever lived in different places or different types of of cultures. I, I as, as you may know, I grew up in the Midwest. I didn't grow up here, and I moved out here in 2002 to the Boston area. So someone was asking me the other day, earlier this week, and I realized that Boston is now the place I have lived uh, the longest in my, in my life. But this isn't necessarily where I, where I grew up. It's become home, but it wasn't home when I, when I moved here. And maybe you have done something similar. Some of you have done even more than that. Some of you have, have moved from different countries and lived in different countries. So I can only imagine how different that is. But I knew, coming from the Midwest, coming to the Boston area, that in some ways I was changing cultures, right? I knew people were going to be different. I saw Goodwill Hunting. I knew people were different uh, here than they were back home. And so I knew that I was switching uh, cultures a little bit. And I knew that when I came to the Boston area that people were going to say things that just sounded different to me. They were going to use words that I, that I wasn't familiar with or didn't normally use. I'll give you an example. I remember the first time that my wife and I went to a grocery store together. And she told me to get a carriage. And I looked around for something holding a baby or that was being pulled by a horse because those are the only carriages I knew. And then it took me a while to realize that she meant shopping cart. And so I got a shopping cart. A shopping cart. I knew that people were going to say things that sounded different to me. Here's what I didn't realize when I came out here in my own ignorance is that I was going to say things that sounded very weird to them. I knew they, uh, people that I moved uh, among were going to say things that were just sounded off to me, but I didn't realize that I was going to say things that sounded off to them, right? And, and something happened over the years as I've lived here, and that is when I first came here, and I remember talking to my now wife, Lori, when we were dating, and I would talk about my family, and I would talk about uh, my dad's sisters and my mom's sister, and I would say my Aunt Jody, or I would say my Aunt Linda, or my Aunt Margie, or my Aunt Aunt Jill. And finally, Lori said to me one day, she said, why do you say aunt? Why are you saying aunt? There is a you in the word. And she said, it's not like the insect. It's not A-N-T. It's aunt. It's aunt. There's a you. And I thought about it, and I thought to myself, you're correct. There is a you. But in my mind, it sounded perfectly normal to say aunt. And over time, it changed. The other thing that, that I came and I said was, I remember the first time we went to a restaurant and the server came and said, what would you like to drink? And I said, I'll have, I'll have pop. Does anyone know what pop is? Soda, right? But the server looked at me like I had three heads. I had no idea if I was asking for music. Uh, they didn't serve music uh, or, you know, they weren't going to hit me or anything. But, uh, but there was a, a disconnect. It was so easy to tell. The second I said the word pop, there was a disconnect. But here's what happened. So I switched to soda just so I can get something to drink. But here's what happened. Here's what happened. Over 16 years, 
Now, when I go back to the Midwest, which we'll do here in a couple of months, do you know what happens now? When my nieces and nephews come around and they talk to my wife and they call her Aunt Lori, I think in my head, oh, don't they know that there's a you in the word aunt? Why would they say it like that? And when I go home and my mom says, hey, do you want to pop? I always think in my head, that's, such a, that's not the right way to say it. You should say soda. And something's happened over the years that I have lived here, whereas now I go, when I first moved here, those words sounded weird to me. Now when I go back to the Midwest, those words sound weird to me. The thing that happens in your life and my life, whether we want to admit this or not, because we all love to think that we're the independent person that's not affected by the world around us. We like to think of ourselves that way. Here's the reality of our relationships. The truth is, you and I shape our relationships. We shape our relationships, but our relationships shape us, don't they? They change who we are. They change how we talk. They change how we think. We shape our relationships, but our relationships shape us, too. You think about the things you used to say and do when you were in middle school or junior high or high school or college, the things you used to do and say because you were surrounded by people that were doing and saying those same things. You would never say those things now because your circle of influence has changed. And whether we like to admit it or not, we shape our relationships, but our relationships shape us. I'll give you another example. This weekend, my wife uh, is away, as I mentioned earlier, at the, at the women's retreat. And a great time. Many of our, the women in our church were there. Well over 100 women were a part of that retreat uh, this weekend, which meant uh, I was left with uh, my daughter, Caitlin, who is six, and my son, Jackson, who is four. And my, our youngest daughter, Nora, who's only five months, went with Lori, thank you, to the retreat. I love her. I love her. But, uh, but I realize on weekends like this how much I love my wife, right? She so, so, takes care of so much. And yesterday, uh, my kids, my seven-year-old and my four-year-old, they had s- soccer practice. They had soccer practice yesterday. Now, why they don't cancel soccer practice when it rains and then it's 40 degrees and blowing wind at 50 miles an hour, I don't know. But they did not cancel soccer practice. I spent... This is not an exaggeration. I spent much of Friday night and the morning of yesterday trying to convince my children that they did not want to go to soccer. But I lost that battle. And sure enough, they said they did want to go to soccer. So yesterday, for two and a half hours, I stood out in the, in the wind and the cold with my hood up and my hands in my pockets watching my children play soccer. Now, if I had no relationship with these kids... There is no way I would have spent my Saturday afternoon standing outside in the freezing cold watching kids play soccer. But I do have a relationship with them. And so I end up spending my Saturday afternoon in that way. And you're the same way. You have relationships with people and you shape those relationships, but those relationships shape you as well. So Paul in this passage talks to us about an important principle that you and I ought to keep in mind. Paul is saying to us, because this is true, because we shape our relationships, but our relationships shape us, there is something that you need to keep in mind, especially if you're someone that calls yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. And here's how he says it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14, uh, and we'll go all the way to chapter 7, verse 1. This is what Paul says. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. 
For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? And that's another word for Satan or the enemy that Paul uses there. Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. Here's what Paul's saying to you and to me in these verses. Especially if you're someone that calls yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. If you're someone who believes in God, who's given your life over to him, then these verses especially apply to you. That where the truth is that we shape our relationships and our relationships shape us, Paul says to us that above all other relationships that we have, our relationship with God should shape us. Above all other relationships we have, our relationship with God should and does shape us. And here's specifically how he says it. He gives us two images in those verses that we just read. One is in verse 16 and one is in verse 18. In verse 16, Paul reminds us that you and I are temples of the living God. What does he mean by that? He means God's spirit dwells inside of you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. So the Spirit of God, Paul says, dwells inside of you. And here's the other truth that Paul reminds us of in verse 18. That is that you and I are children of God. That we are sons and daughters of the living God. And Paul says above everything else that shapes you, those two things should shape the course and the direction of your life. The reality that you are God's temple His spirit dwells inside of you. And the reality that you are a son or a daughter of the living God, that should shape who you are and shape your being. Paul says that we are living this life. He says that we're living a life of holiness unto completion. What does he mean by that? Paul means that because I'm God's temple and his spirit is inside of me, because I'm a son or a daughter of God, that my course, the course of my life should be growing closer and closer to the person that God's created me to be. Meaning that every single day, I should take some sort of step forward in becoming more like Christ. I should take some sort of step forward in becoming more like the person that God has called me to be because of who I am as his temple and who I am as his child. The city of Corinth that Paul's writing to, so this is the second letter to the Corinthians, there was a a city called Corinth in Greece. And Paul's writing this letter to people who are living in that city and telling them how they should live and how they should act. Even though we're thousands of years later, the city of Corinth really isn't that much unlike the city of Boston. You had a very urban people uh, who were busy in trade and business and who were also giving their worship and their best energy to things other than God. So the city of Corinth had a a giant temple uh, to the goddess Aphrodite, and it had over a thousand workers who were in that temple, and the people would go, and they would sacrifice to this idol. 
And they would, they would worship all of the other pantheon of Greek gods. And that was their, their framework. That was their perspective. Their worship went to their work. Their worship went to idols and other gods. That's where it went. And Paul is saying to the people in their context, you're surrounded by these people whose, whose worship is going to other things. You're God's temple. You're his child. And he asked these questions. What, what does light have to do with darkness? What do believers have to do, or what do unbelievers have to do with believers? What fellowship do you have across those lines, he says. And he's saying, when you're in this place where you're surrounded by people who are following something other than the God that you follow, allow your relationship with God to shape you above everything else. It's a similar world to the world that we live in. There may not be a giant temple on a, on a hill outside of the city of Boston necessarily that everyone goes to, but by and large, the people around us, they give their worship to something other than God. It goes to their work. It goes to their family. It goes somewhere else. It goes to their own happiness and fulfillment. Their worship and their best energy, sometimes our worship and our best energy, goes to something else. And so we're in somewhat of the same situation where, by and large, the people who are around us, they worship something else other than the God of this book, other than the living God. And Paul says, in that situation, allow your relationship with God to be the thing that shapes you over everything else. And he gives you and he gives me a principle to live by that is important to remember And this is the way he says it. He says, given the reality that we shape our relationships and our relationships shape us, given the reality that no relationship should shape us more than our relationship with God, this is what Paul says right there in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, Paul says. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Because of the reality, Paul says, that we are shaped by our relationships? Because of the reality, if you're someone who says you follow Jesus Christ, that your relationship with God should shape you more than anything else, Paul says this, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. In fact, I would say a different way that Paul's saying it, if I was to put it in, in, in words today, I think this is what Paul's telling you and me. He's saying to us, shape your closest relationships very carefully. Shape your closest relationships very carefully. I would define close relationships as a relationship where if that person moves, you move with them. If that person moves in their thinking, if that person moves in their action, if that person uh, moves in the direction of their life, you are tied to them in a way that you are moving with them. That's what I think Paul's talking about. He uses this word yoke. And you think about, you think about uh, yoke over uh, oxen. If you, if you look at that and you think about farm animals, and I know most of us probably aren't familiar with this in our day-to-day lives, but you've seen this before. If one of the animals moves, the other one has to go with him. And if that animal doesn't want to move, then it has to fight the other animal in order to stay on the direction that it wants to go. Perhaps we're not familiar with this, uh, this idea, but we have probably all have participated in a three-legged race at some point in our life, right? Do you remember three-legged races in school or at the old church picnic or something like that? So we know what this is like. When you tie yourself to somebody 
and you're trying to move together towards a destination, if that other person falls, or if that other person is slower than you, or if that other person decides they want to go in a different direction, as long as you are tied to that person, you are forced either to slow down yourself or to go in the direction that they want to go, or best case scenario, you're stronger than them and you can keep yourself on the right course, but it's going to be a fight the entire way, right? To keep going the way you want to go. And Paul's saying, this is how our relationships work. And so you ought to be very careful who you tie yourself to. Because if that person decides to go off in a different direction or that person decides to change the course of their life, you are going to be swayed to go with them. So be careful, Paul says. The reality is, is this happens in our closest relationships, but it also happens even in our distant relationships. And we ought to be cautious about this. I heard someone say once, and it was helpful to me, maybe it'll be helpful to you, that we all have three levels of relationship in our life. We have three levels of relationship. There are those people, um, there are those people with whom we collaborate. There are those people with whom we collaborate. And this is the most distant relationships. There are those people who, with whom we cooperate, and there are those people with whom we commune. And all three levels of relationship, I think, have a dramatic effect in shaping who we are. Let me give you an example. The distant relationships, the collaborative relationships, even those can affect who we are and how we spend our time. This week, I was scrolling through my newsfeed, and I saw a headline, millennials are going into debt to keep up with the Kardashians. I don't know how you passed that headline, so I, of course, clicked on it. And it was an article that was on CNBC.com. And they were talking about the reality that young people are spending money that they don't have on things they don't need and they can't afford just because it's showing up in the Instagram feed of the Kardashians. And the relationship between the two is quite strong. And so young people are going into debt to buy things that they don't need and aren't going to use and don't have the money for simply because uh, it's been promoted in various Kardashians' uh, social media feeds. And the reality is I thought about that is that's a very distant relationship, isn't it? People have to decide to have a relationship first with the platform, with Instagram. And then secondly, they, they put themselves in this very distant relationship with these celebrities that they don't know and will probably never meet. But because they've put themselves in that relationship, it shapes who they are. They are buying things that they don't need or don't have the money for. They are purchasing things that they think are going to make them happy. It is reshaping how they think and how they spend their money, even though it's very distant. I'll give you another example. A couple of years ago, uh, we hosted a blood drive here at the church, and the blood drive was put on by Tufts Medical stu uh, School students. I had to have a meeting with some of the students here at the church. It was at 2 o'clock on a Wednesday or something like that, let's say. And so at 2 o'clock on the Wednesday... Two out of the three students were here. The student we were missing was the one who was in charge. So we really couldn't have the meeting without her. The students that were here were texting her, and they kept saying to me, I don't know what happened. We all agreed to take Ubers at the exact same time, and our Ubers got here in no, t in no problem, and uh, she was very late. She walked in about 45 minutes late, 
And she was, of course, you know, sorry that she was late and everything. And they said, what happened? We all said we were going to take Ubers at, at this specific time, and we all got here on time. She said, well, last minute, I decided to do an Uber pool. And that's why I was so late. And if you're not familiar, if you do an Uber pool, that means you are now carpooling with other people in your area who are going to relatively the same destination. So what she did was very distantly put herself in relationship with other people who needed to go in, a, in the same direction, and it reshaped her day. It reshaped my day, it reshaped these other students' days, and it reshaped her day. That's a very distant, temporary relationship, but it still has an impact. And we ought to be mindful of this, that when we put ourselves in agreement, tie ourselves to other people, it impacts our life. Now, if it impacts with those uh, people that are distant, certainly those people that we cooperate with, those business partnerships, maybe the roommates that we have, some of our friends that we enter into a friendship with, those cooperating relationships, our students that are in our classroom that we work alongside, people that are in your office that you work alongside, those have an even greater impact in shaping us, how we think and how we behave and how we spend our day. Even more so, the people with whom we commune. And I would put in this category, the people that you decide to date, the people that you decide to marry, the closest family members that you listen to and keep a good relationship with, your closest friends. I would even put in the communing category the people with whom you choose to worship, the family of God that you choose to be a part of. All of these relationships have a dramatic impact on how we think and how we behave. And many of us would love to say, no, 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 not me. I think outside the box. No one thinks outside the box. We're just in different boxes, all right? Everyone that I know that says they think outside the box looks the same, all right? So we, we all are affected by someone or something, and those relationships that we hold closest have a dramatic impact. So Paul says to you, and Paul says to me, because of the reality that we are shaped by our relationships, because of the reality that no relationship above God should shape us, Make sure that you choose your closest relationships carefully. You know, a good case study for this, someone that we can look at, is the person of Solomon. Do you know who Solomon was? Solomon was king over Israel. Solomon's dad, his father, was David. David, uh, and even if you're not that familiar with the Bible, maybe you've heard of David, David of David and Goliath, that David. David uh, becomes king over Israel. And so David sets up Solomon perfectly. If you wanted to have a dad in the ancient world, David's a pretty good candidate. So because of his father, Solomon is extremely wealthy. Because of his father, Solomon has a great example of how to follow God. David, of course, was not perfect, but the Bible upholds David as one who was a man after God's own heart. And so Solomon has a great example of what it means to follow God with your life. And he also becomes king over Israel. He has authority and power. And so Solomon is in this great position. He has money. He has power and authority. He has a great example. And then on top of it, when he becomes king, God gives Solomon the opportunity to ask for anything that he wants. And what does Solomon choose? Do you remember? Chooses wisdom. That's right. And God is so pleased with his choice that he blesses Solomon. So Solomon has everything going for him. He has money, he has power, he has a great dad, and God has blessed him with wisdom and with authority. Here's the problem with Solomon. 
doesn't do a great job shaping his closest relationships. In fact, a couple of hundred years earlier, do you remember God brought the Israelites out of Egypt? Moses brought the Israelites out of Egypt. When they came out of Egypt, God gave Moses some specific directions about the future king. This is what he said in Deuteronomy chapter 17. You can have a king, God says to Moses, you can have a king whom God will choose. One from among your brothers, you shall set his king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Now here's the deal though. Once you have this king, he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And that might sound odd that he can't get horses from Egypt, but it's a complete break from the life they used to live. And listen to this. He shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver, And gold. So here's the deal God says you can have a king. Don't let him get horses from Egypt. That's not a good relationship. Don't let him become obsessed with gaining money. That's not a good thing. And don't allow him to take many wives that will not work out well. Now, let me say a quick aside, a note about that very quickly. There's quite a few leaders in the Old Testament that live in polygamous relationships where they have, uh, in some cases, hundreds of of wives. Here's, Here's the reality of that. Uh, I want to be clear on this because sometimes people will use this as an example of why not to follow the Bible, but I, I want to be clear. Whenever the Bible upholds marriage, the Bible upholds one man and one woman for life. That's what the Bible upholds. Just because people did it doesn't mean that God liked it. And even here, God says, don't do it. So just the fact that people did it does not mean that's what the Bible says to do. I think that's an important thing, especially in our culture, to realize. Whenever people do this, In the Bible, it turns out poorly. There's many examples. It doesn't go well. And so I think that's an important note to make. So God says, you can have a king. Don't let him chase money. No horses from Egypt. Not many wives. So here's what Solomon does hundreds of years later. And Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. Where did he get all those horses? Uh, And the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone, and he made cedar as plentiful as the sycamore of the Shephelah. And Solomon's import of horses was from Egypt, wasn't supposed to do that, and Q. And the king's traders received them from Q at a price. He had, watch this, 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old... His wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as he was to the heart of David his father. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. God said very clearly, Solomon, choose your closest relationships carefully, who you do business with, who you marry, And if you give your worship to money, and Solomon did all three, and by the end of his life, he was a failure as a king over Israel. How many times have we heard the story, and maybe this story has been written about you and your own life? I certainly have examples in my life where this story has been written about me. How many times have you heard the story? He had everything going for him. His life was headed in the right direction. And then he met those friends in high school. Or she had everything going for her. She had a a career. She had had her act. She was following the Lord with her life. And then she started dating 
How many of you have heard the story? Their family was going uh, great. Things were going well, and they were following God, and they loved him. And then they took this job that was far away, and we all know those stories. In fact, some of them, we've written those stories in our own lives as well. But we were going in the direction that God wanted us to go, and then we started this relationship, friendship, listening to the voices of our family members, dating, marriage, whatever it might look like. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves going down a path that we did not want to go. And rather than letting God shape the course of our life and relationships, we shape them and they begin to shape us and take us away from the reality that we are God's temple and away from the reality that we are children of God. And so Paul gives you and me a warning that we ought to pay attention to. He says, in your life, as you're walking, so that you don't end up like Solomon, so you don't have those own stories in your life, so that you are walking closer and closer to the person that God wants you to be. Walk closest in your life with those who are headed in the same direction. If you're going to tie yourself to somebody, if you're going to tie yourself to somebody and when they move, you're going to have to move as well. Make sure you're walking closest with those who are headed in the same direction. Because if we don't, we might either find ourselves going down a path we never wanted to walk down or we will find ourselves fighting the entire way to stay where God wants us to be. Now, you may say to yourself, does that mean I'm never supposed to talk or have anything to do with people that don't believe in Jesus? No. We're not starting a cult here. We've made it clear, all right? God wants us to have relationships even with people that do not believe. In fact, if that's what Paul was saying, he would be contradicting uh, many things that he's written other places in this book. But he is saying to you and to me, be aware, be aware that when you shape a relationship, that relationship shapes you. And if you want to be the kind of person at the end of your life who has followed God and grown as his temple and grown as his child, make sure the closest relationships you have are leading you in that direction. And how do you know who the closest relationships are in your life? Think about who do you go to when you need advice? Who do you go to when you're stressed out? Who do you go to when life is hard and you need to pick up the phone and talk to somebody? Who are those people? Paul says you need to have people like that who are following Jesus Christ too. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, those people need to be people who follow Jesus Christ too. Some of you are in the room this morning and you're listening to this and you're saying to me, Pastor, listen. If I could go back and redo it, I'd do it differently. But I'm in a relationship. I'm already tied to a person. And I can't just untie it and walk away. Maybe it's your marriage. And I don't think that necessarily God wants you to walk away from marriage because you're married to someone that believes differently than you. But maybe that's where you're at. Maybe it's a business partnership that you're already tied in and you can't just walk away from. Maybe it's close friends that it would be so painful and difficult just to call them up after church today and say, see you later. So maybe you're saying, I'm already stuck in this place. What do you want me to do? Well, here's a couple of things I would remind you of. One, I believe that God can redeem those situations. If you're not praying for that, 
consistently, begin praying for it today, that God would work through and that he would redeem those situations and that he would protect you from being pulled off course when that person walks the other direction, but at the same time, he would allow you to be the influencing person who's shaping that person to follow Jesus Christ. And the second thing that I would tell you to do is wherever you can, Start some friendships and relationships with people that are heading in the same direction. You need that support. There are people in the room here that are walking in the same direction. We need to have the courage and the humility and the time in our schedules to unify with one another and to partner with each other, to walk together. Because any of us that try to do this on our own, come here on Sunday mornings, go out there during the entire week and walk this life by ourselves, we are going to fail because almost everybody that we have relationship with in and around this city is going to be walking in a different direction than we are. And we need one another so that we can support one another and walk together. Proverbs 13.20 reminds us of this reality. The ironic part is many would say that this verse right here was written by King Solomon. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward as we close this morning, and I just want you to think with me for a moment. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ... You are a temple of God. God's spirit dwells within you, and you are God's child. Who is shaping your life? What relationships that you have are shaping the person that you are? Do you have people in your life that are walking in the same direction, that are also following Jesus Christ with your life, that can speak into who you are and how you think and what you do? We need it. Is there a relationship in your life, whether that's a family member or a friend, that you need to pull back from? Because you know it's shaping you in a direction that you don't want to go. It's shaping you in a direction that God tells you not to go. And is there a relationship that you need to begin with someone who will encourage you to do the things that God calls you to do? Let's pray together this morning. God, thank you for the truth that those of us who are in Christ, we are new creations, that you have reshaped us and reformed us. God, that you dwell within us and that we are your children. God, I pray that that identity would shape us and form us above any other thing. God, it's hard sometimes and, and relationships are complicated. Hard to find those people who will encourage us and motivate us to follow you the way that we know that we should. God, I pray that you will surround us with people who are walking towards you, walking in the same direction. And God, for those of us that are in situations where we know that our closest relationships are leading us in a direction that is not the one you would want us to take, God, I pray that you would infuse those situations with your grace and with your mercy, that you would redeem those places and restore those places for your glory. God, help us to be wise as we make friendships, partnerships, relationships, that we might surround ourselves with people who will lead us 
to you. God, for those who are hurting this morning because close relationships are challenging and difficult right now, God, I just pray for your peace. I pray for your encouragement, and I pray for your strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m., and in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Each week that we gather, we do so to learn more about God, grow in our love of Him and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about us by visiting our website at mounthope.org, M-O-U-N-T-H-O-P-E dot O-R-G, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at mthopebelmont. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you listen again next week.